Good morning. We have been in a series called Giants, where we have been going through these giants of faith. It all comes from the Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, where the Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. That's the passage of scripture that's the the proof text of everything that we've been preaching. This is the fifth week that we've done this. And so from that, that passage, we get this picture of life being a marathon, a race. It's not a sprint. It doesn't necessarily matter how fast you are in this this thing, this journey or this race called life. What matters is how you finish this race. It does not matter how you began. It simply matters how you finish. Because let me tell you, there are some rough beginnings in this room. I'm one of them. Many of you are those you've, you've, you began in a really, really rough way. And so what matters is how we finish and that there's this cloud of witnesses and this, this huge crowd of witnesses in scripture is referenced later on as these giants of faith who are cheering us down, cheering us along as to what life can look like. And, and so the, the premise of this series is really predicated on the idea of, of what would these giants that are in the crowd, what would this crowd say if they could step out of the crowd for a moment and run a lap of this race with us? And today, we're going to talk about David. We're going to talk about what he might say and, and, and when it comes to David, there's a lot of things that he might say, but the thing I'm going to key on today, the thing I'm going to talk about today for a few moments is very simply, you can overcome the limitations. I feel like that's what David might say if he stepped out of his crowd, this crowd and, and was running a lap. He'll say, you know, you can overcome these limitations that are in your life. And you got to think about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define some of these limitations here in a few moments. And, and, and to those that went to camp and shared those students, you, there are going to be limitations that are placed on you by other people, limitations placed on you by yourself, and you can overcome all these limitations. Because when we think about David, David was this great warrior and this great king, but as a young man, he didn't look like one. I mean, he was this ruddy little teenager tending the flock of his father, and he was number eight in a family of eight. And how many know if you come from a big family and you're the number eight in a family of eight, you're almost kind of considered like the runt of the litter type thing. And David was. And we find in 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse number one, the Lord said to Samuel, he says, you've mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And so, of course, if you read this story, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it for, so that we can get moving in our message here today. But if you read this story, you come, you see Samuel, you see him arrive at the house of Jesse, and you, set, you see he has to line up your sons, and he lines up his sons, and he looks at him, looks at them, and he looks at one and says, well, this must be the one that God has called, because after all, he was a strapping young man. He was tall, and he was strong looking, and he was the oldest, and this has to be the king, because he actually probably looked looked a lot like what Saul had previously looked like. 
And as he went down the line, God said, no, I've rejected that one. No, that's not the one. No, that's not the one. No, that's not the one. And he got through seven sons. And he's like, well, don't you have anyone else? Because he, he knew firmly that God said no to those seven. And he's like, oh, all I have left is my youngest son in the field. So he said, call him. He comes and this ruddy little theologians believe he was anywhere from 12 to 14 years old. This ruddy little teenager comes and shows up and says, here he is. This is my king. Can you imagine like the, what the seven other brothers would have thought? Like, wait, this one? He's dirty. He smells like animals. So Jesse, his own father, and so I gave you, a, when you came in, you got a note sheet. On those notes are some fill in the blanks you can track along with us if you like. Here's one of those, that first blank that you might want to fill in if you, if you desire to do so. Jesse did not think that David had king potential. His own father didn't believe that he had king potential because when the prophet showed up, he paraded his seven sons, but not his eighth. The limitation that David had, even as a teenager, was placed on him by his father saying that he did not have the potential to be king. He was so excited. That David's father was so excited about one of his boys becoming king, it didn't even dawn on him that it could be David or to call him in from the fields. You know, because Samuel and Jesse were both looking at things that God doesn't look at. Why did David become anointed the king of Israel? Because he was considered to be a man after God's own heart. Jesse and Samuel both looked at the exterior of their sons. And I'm not knocking Jesse's sons. I'm not suggesting that they are horrible people by any means. Because Jesse raised the house, raised his sons in the house of the Lord. And so, because David constantly talked about uh, from a child that he would be in the presence of God. So, but there was something about David that was just different from others. And because everyone else likes to look at the, out, the exterior of a person to qualify them for what they may be doing in their future or even what they may be doing in their present. I can tell you for certain that's been done to me many times. People will, some people will look at me and say, okay, this, is, this, this guy looks like a leader. Okay, so he leading, it might make sense. But when they ask the question, which I've shared before, so I won't share this in detail. When they ask the question, well, where did you get your seminary degree? And I tell them, I don't have one. They say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Well, then why are you preaching? And I give them a very simple answer. Simple like, my friend Kenzie, who said, just share what God's done in my life. My very simple answer is, God told me to. Real simply, God told me to preach, so I preach. And so there were limitations placed on what I could accomplish in my life because I didn't have this piece of paper that suggested that some other institution thought that I was worthy enough to preach the gospel. It's the same type of limitation Jesse placed on his own son. Matter of fact, it's even 1 Samuel chapter 16 that we're the story we're in in verse number 7. This is what he says, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And let me just help you in your own faith and in your own walk and in your own journey. Stop looking at folks for what they look like and making assumptions about their life, but get to know them so you can understand what, what's in the heart of a person. 
Because that's what matters the most. Because I promise you, some of the people that will come around you, that will bless you the most, will be the people you have no idea that they you would ever even associate with. They'll be the ones that bless you the most. And you wouldn't associate with them just simply because you'd look at them and say, not my style, not my flavor, not my... You know, ever notice that? I mean, if you ever, I mean, we are boring people. Because this is what we do. We surround ourselves with people who look like us, think like us, and act like us, and think, okay, this is life. That's boring. Last thing I want is to be around a whole bunch of people just like me. I mean, for real, how many of y'all want to be around 15 people that are like me? Y'all can barely handle the one that's like me, much less the 15. So that, that, that's, we have to get ourselves to this place where we look at the outward appearance and rather than judge, we engage to understand that person's heart, to get to know that person. We have to go past relational limitations in order to do what God wants us to do. Number two, so Jesse did not think that David had king potential. Number two, King Saul himself did not think that David had champion potential. So David had king potential, but his father didn't see it. David had champion potential, but the king didn't see it. Saul was excited when he heard that somebody wanted to fight this giant called Goliath. He got all amped up. He got all excited. He's like, somebody's ready to fight this Goliath. And this is, this is what happens. David steps into the picture in chapter 17, verse 32, and he says, don't he says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the runt, the ruddiest little teenager coming up to you and say, yeah, I'll go fight that nine foot giant. I ain't scared. Now let's talk a little bit really what happened beforehand, okay? Because we, we credit David with some righteousness and we credit him with his heart that's after God's, own, that, 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 that got after God's own heart. But there was a dialogue that took place that most people, when they study this scripture, when they read this story, they completely ignore this part. Because I, I want to I I I teach you something this morning that I think will help you in the decision process to face giants in your life. David spoke up before anybody really knew where he was or who he was and said, what does the man receive that slays this Philistine giant, this uncircumcised person who dares defy the army of Israel? Who, what does the person get? See, no, the, most people don't realize David asked that question. Like, wait a minute, David asked that question. So yeah, he asked that question. And this is what the response was. Well, number one, you'll get my daughter's hand in marriage. Number two, you won't have to pay any taxes any longer. Number three, I'm going to give you a, land, a piece of land that belongs to the king. So I'm going to get the king's land. I'm going to have to not pay the king taxes. And I'm going to get the king's daughter. You know, the next words were, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll fight him. Now, I'm not questioning David's heart by any means. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, no doubt. But he got real strong and real righteous when he realized, hey, I'm going to go do this because God's called me to do this. And oh, by the way, there's a reward for me doing this. Now, that doesn't sound like real good preaching, but let me help you out with understand something. When you step out in faith and do the things that God has called you to do, there is rewards waiting for you. Now, granted, you may not get somebody's daughter to marry, or you're definitely probably not going to get the blessing to never pay taxes again. But there are rewards that are set 
out and set apart just for you and I when we step out in faith and do what God's called us to do. Those rewards oftentimes are simple, like, simple things like peace. I mean, my goodness, how much, oh man, what, how much better would life look like right now if I walked in perfect peace? Dude, I will give you all, to, I'll pay taxes for peace. I'll tell you right now, I'll pay the government more than half my salary if they offered me perfect peace. Because there's just so much depth to that, that what that means for my life and my walk and my faith. And, and so David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Saul didn't think David had champion material. He was one of those not likely. Anybody else are not likely in this room this morning? I hope there's, I hope there's a few because I don't like being alone. But he was one of these not likelies. Matter of fact, Saul went so far as to try to place his own armor on David. Said, well, you're going to need protection if you're going to fight this giant. So let me put my armor, let me give you my armor so you can walk in the king's armor when you go do battle. What he was telling him is, you can't do this, young man. You're not strong enough. You're not skilled enough. You're not powerful enough. I mean, my goodness, look, you can't even carry my armor. How are you going to slay this giant? Let me help you out with something when it comes to that armor thing real quick. When you walk out God's path for you, you walk out, let me help you, God's path for you. Don't walk out my path. You can't carry my mantle. You can't carry my armor. I can't carry your armor. I can only carry what God intended for me to carry. Because here's what we do, and I, I've, I've been guilty. I will tell you right now, I've been guilty. Grew up watching some giants of faith preach the gospel, and I'm like, I'm going to preach like that. And then I start mimicking them, and I start sounding like them, and I start walking like them, and I start talking like them, and I start realizing that once I got to that place, I forgot even who I was. And then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, I can't. I'm not this guy. I'm not that guy. I'm not the Bishop T.D. Jakes. I'm not any of these folks. I am Mike Womer, and that's all I can be. And that's good enough. Can I tell you that? It's okay. That's good enough to be who you are, to be who God's called you to do, be. Don't try to be someone else because there's already, you can, there's only one you. God broke the mold and said, now you're you, walk out you. We have to go beyond even leadership limitations. Now, to suggest that David had these limitations, some of them were thrust upon him because he simply just didn't have the experience that he would gain in life. I mean, he's not just going to walk up to a giant and fight a giant. There had to be something going on in his life to lead him to believe that he could do that. And that's where the lion came in. He killed a lion that would try to chase his sheep. When you have victory after victory after victory, you get to a place where you say, okay, I'll fight that giant. I mean, I killed a lion, all right, already. It can't be that much harder. You have this confidence in you. You have this, this ability in you. And let me, let, me, let me translate that. I'm a, I'm a sports fanatic. I'm a basketball fan and a baseball fan. I'll translate that really quickly. So my son plays basketball, and he plays in an AAU summer team, and he's a phenomenal shooter. Like, I'm not even, I mean, I'm biased because he's my son, but he is a, like, the kid can just flat out shoot. I took him to go play 
with a, with a friend of mine who he graduated manual high school, went and played Division I college basketball. And I took him, he's playing basketball with a, the whole, it's like a whole group of kids. They go to manual high school and then there's my son who goes to Richwoods High School. And he brought him there and he's like, oh man, that kid can shoot. I, I got to have him. Can I have him? It's like, yeah, you can have him. So this weekend he played in a tournament and on day one, it was right from camp to basketball tournament. Kid was exhausted. Played really good defense, couldn't shoot to save his life. And he was all down. Next day comes, first game, and you saw he started to get a little hesitant. And he's still struggling a little bit. I had a conversation with him between the two games. I said, listen, dude, shoot or shoot. That's all. Keep shooting your shot. Keep shooting your shot. Don't stop shooting your shot. All of a sudden, he steps out into the second game, shoots his shot. First one goes in. Face lights up. Confidence sets in. Scored 18 points in that game. I say that to say this. There is something powerful when you walk in confidence as to who you are and who God made you to be. David had confidence to destroy the Goliath simply because he had killed the lion. Saul didn't need to know he killed a lion. Jesse didn't need to know that he had this heart after God. He just needed to know that he had that, that God placed that in him, that those limitations did not matter. And now he has this confidence to say, oh yeah, I'll fight this giant. There's something powerful about knowing that we have this confidence in us that was placed in us by God. I would submit that in all the years, even of my daughter's life, the moment she just stood in front of everyone and declared what God's called her to do, gave her more confidence than anything else she's ever experienced to that day. There's power and confidence. And number three, the last part of this message, um, the last part of this, this part, the first things I want to share is this. So, so Jesse didn't think that he had king potential. Saul didn't think he had champion potential. But let me tell you, Goliath, he didn't think David had opponent potential. This is what he said. This is the final insult. Goliath sees David coming towards him, and this is what he said. Am I a dog? He yelled at David that you come at me with a stick? Like, don't you know who I am? This is right from Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 43 and 44. He cursed David by the names of his gods. And verse 44, he said, come, come over here and I'll give you flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. He looked at this piddly little kid with a stick and said, you're coming at me with a stick? You better bring something much, 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 much stronger than a stick if you're going to do battle with me. Because here's, here's, what, here's what is reality about life. You're going to face a lot of people. A lot of people are going to come at you. And they're going to look at you and say, what do you bring into the table? What do you bring into the battle? Oh, you're bringing, uh, you're bringing this or you're bringing that. You better bring a whole lot more than that. You can easily, I believe, you can easily determine the caliber of a person by the amount of opposition it takes to discourage him or her. You want to know someone who's weak? The moment they face opposition, they say, uh, 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 I'm done. I got to go. I got to go. That's, uh, I'm, that's, that's a weak calibered person. That's not somebody who's going to face a Goliath and stare a giant down and do what he did, which we'll get to in a moment. That person. But when somebody comes and you yell at them and tell them that they're worthless and they still keep coming 
and they still keep coming and they still keep coming. Now you know I got there's something going on here. There's there's something going on here. David faced this opposition of you have no potential. And there are people in your life that have and will in the future tell you you have no value and you have no potential. It's fact. If it hasn't happened yet, just hold on because it will happen. I've been told that more times than I can count from guidance counselors in school who told me I'd be dead in a ditch before I was 25 to all kinds of other folks in my life who would look at me, look at my story, look at my life, look at the decisions and choices I've made and say, you're going to amount to about nothing. So we have to be able to realize you have value and you have potential that goes beyond any limitation that anyone will ever place on you. So what does this matter for my life? I'm going to race through this part of the message where I like to make it practical because I'm just running out of time this morning. I hope this is helping some of y'all where you are and where you're walking with Jesus right now. So how do you find your potential? You know, it's one thing to preach the gospel and come out and say, this is what the word is telling you. You have potential. And then there's another thing to say, well, how do I find that potential? How do I activate that potential? How do I walk in that tomorrow? And so here's what I'm going to help you with. I've already hit on the first one a little bit, so I won't hit that one in in depth. But number one, don't try to be someone else. Be you. Be you. I think for a lot of folks in here, I don't care how great and how much you've accomplished in life, I think for a lot of us, your potential is even still yet to even be discovered. It's already in, it's, it's already in there. You just got to find it and then release it. Find it and then release it. And let me help you out. You don't need a piece of paper from some, some school to say, hey, here's your, here's your license to go preach the gospel. Because let me tell you, there was this gentleman, his name was Paul. And he, got, he started walking this journey. He met with Jesus. He was blinded. He traveled three days, couldn't see anything. He met this man. This man healed him, and he started to preach. So he did three days of Bible school and then went to preach. Yes, there has to be this understanding. Yes, there has to be this, this, this thirst for knowledge and the depth of God's word so that we can rightly divide truth. That's a call that, that, that you are required to do as a preacher, but you don't have to do that to be able to preach because like I said, we can argue theology all day long, but let me tell you, you can't argue when I tell you I was drunk, I was on drugs, I was womanizing, I was everything but a decent human being before I met Jesus. Everything but a decent human being before I met Jesus. There was nothing good in me. Nothing. $500 a week cocaine habit. Nothing good in me. And then guess what? Then they tell you, you know where a 17-year-old gets 500 bucks a week? Let's not even talk about that. Nothing good in me. I met this man. His name was Jesus. And he told me, just be you. I created you in my image. Just be you. God will never hold you accountable to gifts that he did not give you. You have to discover what he's given you and then use them. Now, here's what's really cool. Practically, in this church, we're going to help you do that. We have this thing that's coming in August. It's called our growth track. 
We're going to help you discover those gifts, those spiritual gifts, those personalities, how God's wired you, how he's, how he's built your DNA and shaped your DNA. And then we're going to help you discover that. And then we're going to release you to use that. I mean, it's, it's real simple. Be yourself. Psalm 139 verse 14 says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. See, we, 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 we want to celebrate this passage of scripture, but we forget the very end. How well I know it. How well do you know God's creation? You, you need to know God's creation. You need to know who you are and you need to be you. Number two, you got to let your potential rise above the level of God's potential in you. Does that make sense? You got you to get yourself to a place where what you're able to do, even God's like, oh yeah, here he goes. This is my man right here. Let's go. Because you are qualified because of God's potential. You are qualified. And you need that? Okay, it's real simple. I can do all things through Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You look at those three simple verses of Scripture. Those all declare God's potential for you. You need to rise to a level that you meet God's potential. Don't fall short. If you fall short, you sell yourself short. Don't fall short. Last one I'm going to share with you is this. Chad, if you can come. And this is one of the ones that I think, this is what David would specifically say. God's greatest potential for you is found in your worship. God's greatest potential for you is found in worship. See, David found a secret. There was a reason why he was considered a man after God's own heart. He found this secret. He found the secret to the heart of God way before he killed Goliath, way before he killed a lion, way before he killed a bear. He knew that his potential and his power came from God's presence. His potential and his power comes from God's presence. Your potential and your power comes from God's presence. That's why one of my, one of my, uh, my spiritual father, of many of the things that he taught me, one of the things that he taught me was this. He said, Mike, be a person of the presence. Be someone who pursues the presence of God. And not just like in Sunday morning in church or when you're studying to prepare for a message. He said, I'm talking like every day of the week. Be a person who pursues the presence of God. Because that's where, your, that's where your potential and your power is found. Psalm chapter 63, verses 2 and 4, it says, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Look what he says. I have seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than anything, anything in this life at all. That's pursuing the presence of God. 
That's getting into this position, this posture, if you will, where it says, I am going to pursue you, God. I am going to pursue your presence. I'm going to pursue your power. I'm going to make declarations like I have seen your power and I have seen your glory. Now fill me, God, to overflowing with your presence. Because I'm telling you, being a person who engages their heart and their life in worship, and I don't just mean music, lifting hands, Sunday morning worship. I'm talking every day. Worship is not what you do. It's how you live. It's a lifestyle, church. It's not an action. When you see someone lifting their hands in church on Sunday, that's beautiful that you can lift up your hands and surrender, right, Chad? That's a beautiful thing to do. But let me tell you, just because you lift up your hands and surrender on a Sunday morning don't mean you got things figured out on a Tuesday afternoon. It doesn't mean that at all. And if there's one thing that will incite some righteous and even unrighteous anger in me, it's seeing people perpetuate what I call a fraud. Come over here and stand here and worship on Sunday and speak like you got all the right things to say. But then they stab their brother in the back on Monday. They back talk their parents on Wednesday. They gossip about this person on Friday. And then they walk into the church on Sunday and say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. And I'm like, no, you're not. That's my unrighteous part because I'm making judgment. I get frustrated because it's they're, they're, and it's not I'm not mad at that person. I'm mad at what they're missing. They're missing what God has for them because they think they're okay because they have this form of faith, this form of righteousness that's not real. That's why David had it figured out at a young age, long before Goliath, long before a lion, long before a bear. He said, I will praise you. My potential and my power is found in my worship when I worship him. I'll say it again in Psalm 63. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your glory, your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. This was David. This was lifestyle. This wasn't Sunday morning. This wasn't church. This was how I live my life. David's like, this is how I live my life. That's the only reason I could kill that giant. I could only kill that giant because of how I live my life. You want to slay some giants in your life. You want to deal with some of the things that you're dealing with in your life. Get on your knees and get on your face and declare the glory of God over your life. Let that be words that come from your mouth that actually form it in your heart.